Genesis chapter 12, and let's go to verse number 10. We started a series last week with, uh, with Abraham, and just going to work our way through the feature characters in Genesis. Last week, we just started, started off with Abraham's journey. He followed God. He was, he was called by God to go to a place he'd never been. Abraham is 75 years old uh, at this time uh, where we're reading. Uh, Sarah is 65 years old. She's 10 years younger than her husband. And uh, one thing to, to, to really understand as we move through the, through the series, uh, we don't really have to know all of the details of the previous stories to really capture what we're, what we're learning in each weekly story, but it does help. So if you're familiar with the story, if you've been coming and following along, uh, you'll begin to draw some parallels and even things as we get weeks, in advance, uh, weeks ahead, and uh, then we... we we will draw uh, connections way back from weeks prior. And it's really helpful as, as we begin, I, I imagine, uh, taking threads like you would on a map. And you know how you take a pin and you stick it in this part of the map and then you stretch it out to this part of the map. Or, uh, uh, that, that's what I imagine we're doing with the Bible. If we could figure out a way to, to imagine sticking a pin in this verse and then drawing a thread all the way to uh, verses, chapters later. And, oh, that makes so much sense there. And it's amazing as we read the stories that we've read over and over again, as we've read stories like these even from our children, uh, children's ages, children's classes, uh, and there's still things to learn uh, even this week as I was uh, preparing this, this message, I, I began to learn some new things. I want to be careful, especially as, as I go through these, uh, these passages, stories that I've heard. I've been in church all my life. I think I, uh, before I was born, I was coming to church and uh, never really missed. Uh, my dad was a pastor, so I didn't have too many opportunities to miss. But uh, I've heard all these stories before, and I want to make sure that I'm not telling the Bible what it needs to say, because I already know this. I just gloss. You know how we do that sometimes? We just kind of gloss over a passage because we already know what it's going to say. And then every once in a while, we stop and we're like, oh, that's been there? When did you add this? You know, and, and, and it's been there the whole time. We just didn't stop and really grab it and pay attention to it. So this morning, we're looking at uh, Abraham. He has uh, started from, I, I didn't put the, no, the, the, the map in there, but if you remember uh, where Baghdad is, that's where, uh, right around where Abraham's hometown was, Ur of the Chaldees. And he begins to travel uh, up uh, towards, uh, along the Fertile Crescent and coming up in an in a upside-down V, if you will. He goes up into uh, Turkey or Haran, and then he travels down into a couple of different places, but into the place of the land that we know as the land of Israel. And God tells him there, this is the place that I've promised for you children. This is the place where you're going to be. And Abraham begins to travel. Now, we, we don't have a lot of the details other than these vague, uh, you know, general directions. And this is going on. We don't know a lot of what happened. Obviously, more happened than what is recorded in Scripture. So I want to be careful, especially as what we're looking at today, that we're not unfair and pulling things out of the Scriptures that aren't necessarily there. But we can definitely draw some, some lessons and conclusions from what we do have in front of us. Abraham had traveled down into Bethel. And this is the last, uh, the last uh, definite place that we know of where Abraham is. Bethel means the house of God. Uh, and it was, uh, it was the, the place he had built an altar. It was uh, the place that uh, we see a lot of spiritual... Uh, uh, spirit, it's a spiritual roadmap all throughout the Old Testament as, and even, even in today as we, uh, many of our churches around are named Bethel because it means house of God. It, it has a significance in its name. Well, Abraham is there, and the next verse, and we finished it with last week with this verse, that he just continued traveling south. Um, and I assume this was just by God's direction, just continue to travel, continue to find out what, out what is out there, but also 
for a very practical reason. Abraham, uh, his wealth was in his sheep and his, in his goats and his camels and his, and his, ca- and his cattle, all of these things, and they needed food. And you, you have to eat there, and then when it's time, when it's all gone, you gotta go somewhere else. And so he's a traveling man, and he continues traveling south, and he gets to, we get to verse number, uh, 11, uh, I'm verse number 10, I'm sorry, and we find out that something, uh, something bad has happened. He finds himself in a bad situation. Uh, there's a famine in the land. It's a great famine, the Bible tells us, uh, which means that there's no food for his family. That means that there's no food for his servants, and he had many servants. Uh, he had, uh, later on, we'll see, he had his own little private army, and this guy, this guy was loaded. This is, this is, imagine, imagine, uh, Bill Gates, you know, taking all of his, his, uh, entourage with him and traveling, and where do you live? I don't know, I just, I just moved from place to place, and, and it's not one little tent set up in the desert. I mean, this man had, had, a, quite a, he had quite a caravan with him. All these, uh, cattle and oxen and all these different animals, and people to take care of them, people to protect them. He's got his wife, he's got his, his, uh, uh, nephew Lot. Don't know if Lot was married at this time, but he has quite a crew that goes along with him. And so he's responsible for all of these people. And so uh, there's a famine in the land. What am I going to do? And he begins to weigh the options. Of course, he knows that God promised him that he was going to have a son. He's 75 years old. This is going to be a miracle. And he hasn't uh, had that son yet, but he knows now that if he dies, he can't have a son. And so he doesn't have any food. He doesn't survive long enough to see the promise. And so what seems to be uh, a man who last week we saw stepped out by faith and followed by faith, Abraham finds himself in a very new predicament. God did not give me instruction on this. Now what do I do? And, and as far as Scripture is concerned, God is silent on what he was supposed to do. Should I stay or should I leave? If I do leave, where do I go? And if I die, how is God's promise going to come true? So he ultimately comes to the, the decision that he's going to travel down into Egypt. Now, Egypt would have been ideal uh, for his business. It would have been ideal for his physical needs because of the Nile River. It would have, it would have had more than enough for his cattle and, and, the, and the business and the food options and water options for his family and, and all the people that, uh, for whom he was responsible. So it made sense from that point of view. If you've heard these stories many times, you've heard, uh, no doubt, preachers uh, you know, talking about Egypt and it's a type of the world and Abraham made a bad decision going down to Egypt. We have the benefit of hindsight knowing that it ended up being a bad decision, but we don't have a clear direction from God saying, Abraham, don't go to Egypt, and then Abraham went to Egypt. We don't have a, a God also saying, Abraham, go to Egypt, and so Abraham goes to Egypt. So we find Abraham in, in, this, in this pickle, if you will, because uh, he... he he doesn't really know what to do, and so he makes a decision based on um, his bet. You know, he does his best to make a decision, and uh, we see how it plays out. In fact, we will continue to read the effects of this decision as we continue reading through Abraham's life. Uh, we're going to see consequences. Uh, we're going to see effects, however you want to call them, uh, from this one decision to go down into Egypt. As he's traveling down to Egypt. Imagine he's traveling there. He has a he has a, a side by side camel or something. I don't know what he did, but he's riding. He looks over at his wife and says, "You know, you're a pretty woman. You're a pretty good looking woman. And uh, you know, when we get down to Egypt, uh, they're going to notice that you're uh, you're a babe. You know, that's in the it's in the Hebrew, sixty five year old babe. And uh, she she's like, uh, you know. And so they're traveling, and he says, "This is what we got to do. Listen, God made me a promise that I'm going to have a son. We're going to get down in Egypt." And we're, they're gonna, the Egyptians down there are going to notice, they're going to recognize beauty right away. 
and they're going to take you for their wife because who wouldn't want you, Sarah? And, and they're going to kill me if they find out that I'm the only thing that's stopping them. I'm a 75-year-old man. What am I going to do to stop them? And so this is what we have to do, Sarah. We have to tell a half-truth, okay? You need to tell everybody that you're my sister. Technically, that's true because if we read back in the end of chapter 11, they were kind of related and back then, I guess it wasn't weird, okay? If, if, if you found out that the person you married was also your brother or your sister, you're like, maybe we should have checked our family trees a little bit closer. I was talking to a family about that this week, about in Sherman. If you're in Sherman, if you're from Sherman and your generations are from Sherman, you probably would do best to date outside of Sherman because you might be related to just about everybody in Sherman. Uh, and so it's, it, that, that's what I imagine it was like back then. But they, they, that was okay, I guess. So they're, they're traveling and, and they're, and they're coming up with this plan of Abraham's plan and he reads it. Uh, we read it as, as, as like this. It says, uh, say, uh, that, uh, he says in verse 13, say, I pray thee that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake and my soul shall live because of thee. So, uh, babe, do me a solid and let me live so that we can live long enough to have this promise from God come true. Bad idea, I know. It's not a romantic sounding thing. I know. Ladies, I'm sure that's not what you want. You know, you're going on a, a vacation somewhere and your husband leans over and you says, hey, you're a good looking woman. Don't tell anybody that we're, we're attached. Uh, what's, think about that reasoning. I, even as I read through that, I think, Abraham, think about what that means. They're going to take Sarah to be their wife. And that band-aided the problem. It's a temporary fix because what's supposed to happen now? How is Abraham supposed to have the promised child if his wife is no longer his wife? Okay, yeah, you're not a dad, but you're still not getting the promise. Abraham went down to sojourn in Egypt, which means he wasn't planning on staying forever. So now, what are you going to do when you decide to leave? Hey, can I have my sister back? I know she's your wife, but can I have my sister back? Because she's technically my wife. I just didn't tell you that. They're going to, they're going to, if, if he's worried about them killing him then, they're going to kill him now. So it's, it's all of these, these, uh, you didn't think this all the way through, Abraham. We've all had those things. Where, I, well, it sounded like a good idea at the time. But now that I look back on it, that was the biggest decision, that was the worst decision I ever made. And this is Abraham. And he makes these, he makes these, when we read about these, I'm, first, two things come to mind. First, number one, I'm glad that God is done writing the Bible because I don't want him to write about my dumb decisions. But also number two, I think, you know, what, what did your, what did your wife think about this? I mean, why didn't, did she slap him? Was she like, are you kidding me? Are you, and I think maybe he's not such a superhero after all. You know, we pick, we paint these these Bible people as you know real big, uh, uh, infallible creatures that God created to write the Bible, and then there's the rest of us. No, I, I, has anybody ever done a mistake like this in there? And don't raise your hand because it's probably not a good idea. But I would I would say with confidence that most of all of us, confidently, shaky confidence here, that all of us could say I have never uh, not pretended to be my wife's husband. You know, I. I, that, that, I, and watch some other guy take my, can you imagine that, guys? Some other guy starts, uh, flirting with your wife. And you just sit back and, and watch, like, yeah, she's my sister. Go ahead. Can you, I mean, what, what is that? You're supposed to defend her. You're supposed to stay. What is Sarah feeling like? Uh, you're gonna do something or, or, and the Bible says that they get down and, and Abraham was exactly right. This is what happened. Uh, they 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 recognized that she was beautiful, and they took her for themselves. Uh, they uh, they says and, and well they 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 uh, they referenced the princes of Pharaoh, verse fifteen. The princes of Pharaoh saw her and commanded commanded her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So now she becomes part of Pharaoh's harem, and bye uh, bye 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 Abraham and, and Sarah. I don't know if Abraham finally realized. Uh oh, wait a minute. I think I may have got myself into a jam here. 
We find Abraham is well compensated for that. I imagine much like a dowry. It says in verse 16, he entreated Abraham well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And you notice what happened. God didn't approve. God didn't like the fact that, that Sarah was no longer with Abraham and there was a, there, here is Satan's, uh, attempt to mess with Messiah. Because through Abraham was coming Jesus Christ and if we mess with that bloodline, we mess with the Messiah and, and the Messiah won't come. And so let's get Sarah away from Abraham so that the seed won't come through the promised one. And then God's plan's all messed up. And so God steps in and says, no, no, no. You, Satan can't mess with things like that. I'm, he's in control. And he begins to plague Pharaoh. We know that later on, years later, Pharaoh is going to get plagued again by God for mistreating God's people. And here we see a Pharaoh mistreating one of God's people and being plagued for it. Now, there's a lot of time that passed through in these in these short verses. There's a lot of time that goes because notice what it says in the Lord. Verse 17, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife? I imagine that there was at least months that have gone by in those two verses right there, because I don't think that from the moment he took her, he took uh, Sarah in into his harem and then all of a sudden they have plagues, whatever they may be. We know about the ten plagues that, that happened in Egypt later on, so let's take one of those, and maybe it was boils, or, or maybe it was, it was lice, or whatever. Uh, then, and that's, and that's what's going on. How long did it take Pharaoh to connect the dots and realize, you know what? This all started happening the same time that I got this new wife. And then he realizes she's not really just his sister. She's his wife. And he calls Abraham in. He calls him on the carpet and says, why'd you do this to me? And Abraham explains, well, because I knew that she was gorgeous and, and I knew that you would, you would take her and you'd probably kill me for it. And so I told this lie. And can you imagine? Abraham is God's people and Pharaoh is not God's people. And here is an example of the humiliation brought to Abraham, but also to the name of God when God's people get called out in their sin by unsaved people. It's one thing to sin. It's one thing to sin in front of the world and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and then I do these things and unsaved people go, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not what Christians do. And we see Abraham doing that. We're going to see him do it again later on. He makes, an, he makes the same bad decision. In fact, I don't know how it got passed down, but his son Isaac did the exact same thing. This is not a, a family of men standing up for their wives. Uh, it's quite the opposite. Pharaoh expels Abram out of, out of uh, Egypt, sends him away. Now he has all this extra stuff and he sends him away. And then we get into chapter 13. It says, and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the south. And notice, Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. He had a lot of stuff. I imagine he came into Egypt a wealthy man. He left Egypt a wealthier man. Very, very rich. Very, very profitable in terms of finances for the, this Egyptian trip. Okay, now any other any other scenario or any other perspective, it was a horrible failure. But as far as this bank account goes, it was a good idea. Uh, it goes down in verse 3, and he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, I said financially, economically, Egypt was a good idea. But I believe that, that Abram got the idea that 
money wasn't everything. Finances aren't the only thing that matters. He has a rocky marriage, to say the least. How much marriage counseling does that take to get your wife's trust back after you have given her up, not once, but later on twice, because I don't want to die. I know I said for better, for worse, but I didn't know that a pharaoh would want you to. And so if there's, can you imagine two wedding, you know, wedding, uh, I will, you know, keep you in sickness and health, da, 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 unless somebody else stronger than me wants you, then he can have you. That doesn't really fit in with the wedding vows. It's not romantic, and so we usually don't include those things. But that's exactly what happens in, in Abraham's life. He goes back to Bethel. He gets back into the last place where God had spoke to him, where God had done something in his life, and he realizes from there, he's sitting down, and this is where we start. We find Abram sitting down somewhere and replaying the events of the past probably several months, realizing, I have made a huge mess of the last several months of my life. I messed things as I was reading this story, I knew this story was in, I mean, I knew that this story was here and I've heard this story so many times. And I began to realize this is about making bad decisions. And so I was really looking to find uh, instruction to share. And I thought the sermon this week is going to be, when we get to Genesis 12 and we talk about Abraham's Egyptian trip, we're talking about how to avoid making bad going to Egypt type decisions. And so I began to study it. There's nothing there. I could try to find, you know, make up stuff. Well, Abraham shouldn't have done this, shouldn't have done this. But the Bible doesn't give us the, the reason the story is there is not specifically, I think, to avoid making bad decisions. We could all, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but we could all use some tips on how to avoid making a bad decision, right? How many of us have heard stories or principles or advice about making bad decisions, and yet, we seem to make the bad decisions. I won't ask you to raise your hand. Be like, How many of you have made a bad decision? You know, if you're not raising your hand, it's because you're not old enough or you're not honest enough. Because we've all made bad decisions. The whole Bible is full of wisdom and counsel on how to avoid making bad decisions. But what I find in the story is not how to avoid making bad decisions. I find something even more practical, even more helpful. What to do after you've made a very bad decision. I need that. I know that there's instruction on how to avoid it, but somehow I don't get it when it's time. When it's time to take the test, I get all the answers wrong. And I find myself, like Abraham did, on the other end of the story going, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that again. I thought I figured it out. I thought I learned my lesson. I thought, I, what do I do now? This is the story that we find from Abraham. How to respond to a bad decision, not how to avoid it. This story is a lot like our own lives because we can look at Abraham's story and we can see the whole thing in a timeline. But Abraham couldn't, couldn't do that. Abraham didn't have the benefit of hindsight to look at his, to look at his, his decision and realize it's going to make all these, uh, it's going to affect all these other things and I'm not going to like it at the end. He didn't have that. Our lives, we don't have that advantage. We don't have 2020, what do you call it? 2020 hindsight, what is that? Front sight? Foresight? Foresight, that's a good word. Someone should make that up. Uh, we don't have, uh, we don't have that in our own lives. And we can't look and say, well, I know that when I, if I make this decision, this is gonna happen. We get to look at other people's lives and say, well, they kinda made a decision like, 
But how many times do we look at other people and, and we say, well, I'll be an exception. It won't happen to me. We can make all the excuses that we want to make about how this is going to work for us. But what happens is we get to the end and many times we don't like the results that we got. Abraham's story is for that. Because many times we have to bet, we have to make a decision without knowing what's going to happen because of it. I don't think Abraham here was trying to change God's plan. I really don't think that Abraham lost his faith and said, well, okay, God, uh, this is a, that was a bad decision. Apparently it didn't come through. So apparently I'm just going to go do this. I think that Abraham was trying to help God out. I think that Abraham was trying to think too much. You ever been told to think too much? You ever been told you don't think enough? Usually that's what I'm accused of. Like, you were thinking again, weren't you? That was your first problem. But this is, this is Abraham thinking how to fix God's... God, you didn't think this through. You said that a 75 and 65-year-old couple was going to have a, a baby. And I mean, that was a tall order in and of itself. But now we're going down to Egypt and I'm going to die and I can't have a son after I'm dead. And so, God, uh, hold on, I think I got an idea. This is what we're going to... And then without God's direction, Abraham and Sarah start hatching this plan that we can see was also a dumb plan. Okay? But that's how life works for us many times. At least for me. If you're sitting here going, I never make bad decisions. I have no idea what you're talking about. Then just humor me because I know I do and I can benefit from this. And if, for the, for, if you're a perfect person out there, for the rest of us, uh, just, just sit and twiddle your thumbs, okay? But if you ever make bad decisions and going, I'm living through bad decisions, I'm reaping the consequences of my bad decisions, look at what Abraham did because this is how it will help us. When Abraham's plan backfired and nearly ruined everything, God has to sweep in and rescue him. Really, Abraham's plan, as I, as I wrote that phrase out, I realized Abraham's plan worked. He didn't die. Um, he, he knew what was going to happen to an extent, and it did happen. His plan worked. But it wasn't well thought out, as I said, because he wasn't going to get Sarah back unless the Lord plagued Pharaoh and realized, hey, you have another man's wife. Uh, he wasn't going to leave without her. Uh, he wasn't, at the very least, wasn't going to have a son with her. You don't get to borrow the Pharaoh's wife to fulfill a promise that you say came from God. Okay, th- th- these things don't work because Abraham didn't seek God's direction in any of this. At least we don't have it recorded here. Maybe, get, maybe Abraham did get on his knees somewhere and say, God, I don't know what about this famine. I heard Egypt's got a Nile River down there. I heard that they've got some, they've got grass for my cattle. I don't know. We, maybe he did that, but we don't know that he did that. And we find out that he made a very costly decision. How can I learn from this story? Well, so first of all, I want to give you some instruction. I don't like putting blanks in your outline because I want you to, I want it to be helpful even if you're not here sitting here now. But I put one in there. How can I avoid making the wrong decision? Let me give you one really good answer that will probably help you to avoid every bad decision. Here it is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's what it is. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Abraham, you're in Bethel and you don't know where to go. What should you do? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. You don't trust your own understanding. 
Don't think, well, you know, I understand that my wife is beautiful, and I understand that men would kill to have her, and I understand that Pharaoh will probably kill me to have her. Don't trust in your own understanding. Instead, because those were two negatives, instead, here's the action. In all your ways, in everything you do, acknowledge Him. Why? Because then God will direct your path. Does God want you to go to Egypt? You'll know if you acknowledge Him in all your paths. When, when my family was trying to decide where we should move from, uh, from Spanaway, Washington, where are we going to go after that? I, 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 that? That was the verse. That was the only thing I could cling to. I am acknowledging you in this. I called pastors and I asked them, I said, okay, I know Proverbs 3, 6. What do you have to, what does it mean to acknowledge God? I want to make sure I'm getting this. Acknowledge God in everything you're doing and say, okay, all right, God, um, what do you think? Should I do, should I not? Instead of going and then saying, okay, I made a mess. Can you fix it? Okay, and then I'm going to go on a, I made another mess. Can you fix it? But way before I do all that, I go, God, what do you want me to do? Because then when I act and it doesn't work out, I, I trusted you, God. I, because then when things don't seem to work out, I can know I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm in your umbrella of, I, I, I'm in your will because I acknowledged you and you've directed my paths. And you've led me the places that I need to go because I'm following you, God. Remember last week? Following God. Not running off and then asking God to help you get out of the mess you've created. It's following God, which means He's leading me. Which means He's going before me. How can I avoid making bad decisions? Of course, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Always acknowledge God in your decisions. This is a very simple idea, and yet it's very complicated. Because that doesn't give me a lot of the how-tos. It's still, as I said last week, it doesn't give me the next several steps. Sometimes acknowledging God only gives me the next step. And then the next step. Usually, if I want to, maybe if I'm hiking somewhere, and you know, you get those, the, the water, or the creek or whatever, or river or whatever, and you want to cross it, uh, I don't like getting my shoes wet if I know I'm going to be out forever and I don't want socky, you know, soggy socks and all that stuff. And so I'll try to find a good place to cross the river. But before I start, before I take that first step, I want to see a clear path all the way across the river. I don't jump to the first rock and say, okay, now what? Hmm, that one looks like you're going to go there. I want to know, I want to see it laid out before me before I take the first step. But that's not always how we get to follow God. God says, there's a rock, jump on it. Well, what about after that? You'll find out when you get there. Just jump. Just take the step. All right, I'm here now. Oh, look at that. There's another. Well, what about after that? I don't, I don't care. Just take the next step. When I acknowledge God, that's what happens in my life. But when I just go off on my own, it might look good at first, but I might find myself in the middle of the river and I ran out of rocks. You ever been there? Now what do I do? How did I get here in the first place? And you turn around and you go, I guess I'll go back. How did I even get from there to there and, and usually end up wet? Usually end up soaking wet because you made a, 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 a very poorly thought out plan. And you followed a very poorly constructed plan. It's hard to trust God when you can't see Him. And you don't understand the entire path that He has for you. But here's the, here's the beauty of it though. You don't have to. You don't have to have it all figured out. As, as adults, we have learned to become independent and say, you know, figure this out. Figure out life. And don't be, don't be so dependent on people. But when it comes to God, you've got to be the exact opposite. You can't be independent. You have to be dependent on God and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, without you, I can do nothing. Lord, I need you. As we sing the song, every hour I need you. I can't get by a day, an hour, a decision without you. 
Don't, don't get irritated at me, God. I'm so dependent on you, God. And I need every, every bit of the way I need your hand leading me. I need your, I need to know what to do. It might only be the next step, but I need the next step. I don't want to make the next step on my own. I don't want to figure this out on my own. I don't have to understand it. It's the beauty of it. And so instead of looking at God's plan and saying, He's calling me to do something that I don't know what to do, I don't know what to... Instead of looking at that as a problem, look at that as a blessing. As I don't have to know what's going on. Because isn't that what life is like a lot? What's going? I have no idea what's going on right now. I have no idea when the, ne- when the phone call is going to come that I've been waiting on. I have no idea. I, I stepped out in faith and I have no idea what's going to happen next. And I have no idea if, if this answer to prayer is going to happen. Or I have no idea how my kid's going to turn out or if my marriage is going to be fixed or whatever the thing is that you're trying to figure out. I don't know how it's going to happen. But what I do know is that if I trust God, it will all play out. Romans 8.28 we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to His purpose. It can just happen when I just step out on my own and do my own thing. So that's how I avoid making bad decisions. But as I told you, I'm kind of thick-headed sometimes. And I learn how to avoid making bad decisions. But at the same time, I still make bad decisions. So here's what we do according to Abraham's story. Here's how Abraham responded to his bad decisions. Real quickly. Three things that Abraham did to respond. What I wrote down, what to do when my plan backfires. When it blows up in my face, and when I finally reach the point and I go, whoa, all right, that was a big mistake. For the prodigal son, it was sitting in the pig pen. Okay? For, uh, for, for Peter, it was, it was when Jesus looked at him and the cock crew uh, three times. Oh, okay, I made a mistake. What do you do then? Number one, go back to Bethel. For Abraham... It was a physical Bethel. For us, it's the place of our last spiritual progress. It was the last place that Abraham knew he was in the will of God. It was the place of worship. It was the last place he had built an altar. And he had to go back to a physical place. For us, we make a bad decision. The first thought, i got to get back to where I, the last place I knew I was right. You know when you're driving and you get lost? I know if you're men, we never get lost. We're just taking the long route, scenic route, whatever it may be. But you're driving, and you're okay, what's the best thing to do? Go back to a spot where you knew you were right. And that's what we do spiritually. Get back to the place, the last place you knew everything was right with you and God. Back to the place of worship. Back to God's plan. Back to God's way. When you realize that your way didn't work, get back to God's plan. Number two, don't quit. Don't beat yourself up and say, well, I blew that. I better just stay in Egypt. No, Abraham left and he said, you know what? I'm going to get back into the plan that God had for me. Uh, Egypt was a disaster. It was blew up in my face. It was the worst decision I've made yet because he's going to make some more bad ones. But I'm going to get back to Bethel. I'm going to get back to the place. Don't quit. Because here's the thing. God didn't quit on Abraham. Abraham messed up and God didn't say, well, now I can't, I can't keep, keep my promise to you. God still kept his promise and God still had big plans for Abraham. And we are still the beneficiaries of the promise that God made to Abraham, even though Abraham was discouraged and he may have been down because of the, the poor decisions he made. He didn't quit. He kept going. Don't quit. God knows. Think about this. God knows you're going to stumble. God has called you, let's say, from go to here to there. And God knows that you're going to follow Him and sometimes you're going to get off course. 
God knows that you're going to fall. God knows you're going to stumble. God knows you're going to get tired and you're going to want to quit. He knows all of these things. When we fall, when we sin, we don't surprise God. And yet He still calls us to do these things. And every time we're ready to get back up and brush ourselves off and try again and say, okay, God, I know I got off course. I know I stopped following you. I know that I did my own thing for a while, but I'm ready to get back into it. God says, okay, here we go. Next step, here it is. Take it. He's always ready. Because He knows that I'm not the one that's keeping this all together. It's God's plan. And so God is keeping this all held together. Lastly, number three, remember that just because a little bit of good happens because of a bad decision, that doesn't make it a good decision. The profit that Abraham experienced from his bad decision didn't make Egypt a good decision going, well, I got a bunch of money, so I guess it wasn't it wasn't a bad decision after all. No, no, no. Think about what happened from that. We're going to read about Hagar in a little while because later on Abraham's going to try to help God out again and Sarah's going to try to help God out again and they're going to say, hey, why don't you have a baby through Hagar who's much younger and she hasn't passed her childbearing years. Where did Hagar come from? It says that she was an Egyptian, which means that as Abraham goes back to Bethel, he brought some, he brought some extra people along with him, one of whom would throw a big monkey wrench in his plans and what we, the, the Arab and Israel, the fighting that goes on today, started because Abraham and Hagar. And that happened because Abraham went down to Egypt. Uh, think about Lot. Lot went, went down with him. Lot came back with him. We're going to see next week, Abraham and Lot separate. And Abraham and Lot begins the downward spiral that eventually ruined and destroyed every member of his family. That started because they had so much stuff. And they got so much stuff because they went down to Egypt. They benefited. They profited financially. And the very next verse tells us that they had too much, too much cattle and not enough land. And so they had to split. So just because a little bit of good happened from a bad decision, don't chalk that up to a good decision. Don't erase it and put it in the good decision column. Good can come from bad decisions. That's the grace of God. But it doesn't change bad decisions into good ones. These are things that Abraham did when he, because his plan backfired. Of course, Abraham probably would have been better if he'd just never gone to Egypt in the first place. But he can't change that now, can he? And yes, every single one of us would probably just do, we'd do better if we just never made bad decisions. We could just all decide today, I am never going to make another bad decision again. I'll sign my name to it. I'll put it in a certificate. I'll stick it in my Bible. And before I get home, I'll probably mess that up. If you're, if you have much more discipline than I do, you might make it till Monday. But the, the problem is, the fact is, we're all going to make bad decisions. How are we going to respond when we make a bad decision? You're going to quit? I'll mess that up. I just, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Are you going to get back up? Proverbs says a just man falls seven times and rises up again. He gets back up. He's figured out how to fail. He's become an expert at failing and messing up and, and messing up and messing up. But he's also become an expert at getting back up and trying again and not quitting. Get back to Bethel. Get back to that place of worship. Get back to the place where you knew God was working. 
and where you knew God was, was, was pleased with your position and God was pleased with your decision. And, and if, you, if you realize I'm on the bad step, go back to the last step and say, this is the last place I knew God wanted me to do. Okay, God, what did I miss? Oh, instead of going here, I should have gone here and get back in the path. Get back in the plan that God has for you. Or you sit there at the end of your bad decision all the broken dreams and the broken mess that you've created and say, well, oh, look at that. There's a little good thing out of that. Oh, I guess it wasn't so bad after all. And just go on in your ignorance and never learn from it. I think we should be like Abraham. I think we should back up and say, well, that was a bad decision. I can't change it. But I can, I can learn from it. And I can move on from it. And become a, still the man that God created me to be. I can still realize the promise that God had for me because Isaac would come eventually. It wouldn't come without some speed bumps in the road and some dips and some Abraham almost messing everything up again, but he finally did come because not because of Abraham's perfection, but because Abraham kept messing up and realizing it and getting back into the plan and saying, okay, I made the mistake. I'm going to try again. All I can do is try again.